John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So the Bible, like any good book, has an introduction, the main body, the storyline, and then the conclusion. And in our good book, the Holy Scriptures, we know that there is an introduction in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 to 12. The storyline starts in chapter 12 all the way down to the New Testament book of Jude. And then the climax, the conclusion, is in the book of Revelation. And we see in Genesis chapter 1, God introduces himself as the mighty great creator. He creates man and woman. And his grand plan for us, his favorite creation, is simply that we would scatter the earth, spread out, and bring glory to him as man travels everywhere. Of course, we know that then sin entered the world, but God's plan remained the same for people to still go out, scatter, and bring him glory. And then we see the flood happens, and after the flood, the clans of Noah did spread around the earth, and God chooses one man named Abraham. And in this man, Abraham, his name will later change to Abraham, and he would become the father of many nations, and he would bring that glory to God. So let's read again in our text in English. The first three verses, which says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, all peoples. The word peoples is from the word ethne, meaning ethnic people, groups, ethnic families, different nations. And in the opening verse, chapter 12, we see that God says to Abraham, go from your household. The authorized King James Version, it says, get thee out. like God spoke very strongly to Abraham. In English, we read, Abraham, please go to the country and I will show you. But the authorized version says, Abraham, get out of your country. Not just your village or your town, your city, your country. Get out into a land I will show you. And you see the faith right there. Just go and I will show you. What I love about the Old Testament is not much theology. God spoke, and Abram goes. There's no questions and confirmation and until I finish this, that, or the other. Abram just goes. And I'm hoping that today God would shout out loudly in his still small voice that we too will be obedient to whatever the Lord is calling us to. So we see that Abram goes, and God promised him 
very clearly that he will bless him. And that is known as the top line blessing. In the same verse, God says and promises that you will be a blessing. And we call that the bottom line blessing. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Now with every top line blessing, there's a bottom line responsibility. And you can work that out in your lives. Every time the Lord blesses you, there's a responsibility with that blessing. And God blesses us in many ways. All the time. I like to think every day God blesses us. So much that we don't even take time and pause to recognize his blessing. And imagine every time God blesses us, we know, wow, the Lord loves us. Hey, that's the top line. The bottom line is, how can I now be a blessing in whatever way the Lord has blessed us? In Abraham's case, we also know that Abraham was blessed. Then he had a son, the promised child, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Abraham, uh, Jacob. And Jacob, Isaac's son, his name would later become known as, you preach now to me, Israel. And what was Israel's responsibility? The responsibility of Israel was to be God's missionaries across the whole earth. That was the plan. God blessed Abraham, made him a father of many nations. We saw very clearly the son Isaac. Then we saw, hey, God blessed him with Jacob. And Jacob was renamed Israel to be God's missionaries, to go around the whole earth and be a blessing. But the question is, was Israel a blessing to all nations? The silence is deafening. No. A well-documented history in the Old Testament shows us the disobedience of God's chosen people right up until the time of the prophet Malachi. My Old Testament teacher told me, there's only one Italian prophet in the whole Bible, Malachi. So this prophet, Malachi, we read, brings an end to the Old Testament, and then there's an intertestamental period of 400 years. God is silent. And then, what we now call our New Testament, we see after those 400 years, prophecies are being fulfilled of the long-awaited Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then this Jesus died on the cross, and all hope was gone. And then disappointment then turned to great joy. What happened? He arose from the dead. Fantastic. And after the resurrection, Jesus showed himself to many people over a period of 40 days. Jesus indicated then he was leaving and he's going up. So people are very confused. This Jesus, he died. He rose again. Now he's talking about leaving and going up. I, 
I mean, we thought that if he died and he arose, then he's going to stay on forever because he can't die. He'll just arise again. So people are very confused. What's happening here? He's talking about leaving and going away. Now, if you know that somebody, anybody you choose, says to you, thanks for the time, the conversation was great, uh, I'll be leaving now. Time's up. So you're thinking, hmm, don't have very long. I'd rather ask my most important question because this person is leaving. And we pick it up in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. The disciples now know that Jesus said he's leaving. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This question, remember, is the last question to ask because Jesus is leaving. He's going away. So this must surely be the most important concern of the disciples. Even after the resurrection, spending 40 days with Jesus, all they wanted to know, Lord, when will the kingdom be restored to us? When will our country become independent again? That's all was in their minds. Nothing else. Because it's the last opportunity to ask one last question, and this is it. Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel back to us, like it was in the good old days? Well, Jesus' answer is not very exciting. Because in verse 7, we see he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates, the Father has set by his own authority. This must be the greatest disappointment if you had a subtitle, verse 7. If verse 6 was the ultimate concern, the greatest question, well, the greatest disappointment is, well, it's not for you to know the dates of the time the Father has set by his own authority. Imagine that. You took time to ask this person your one last very important question, and they say to you, sorry, it's not for you to know the dates of the times. This is, you don't need to know this now. How does that leave the conversation? Again, a deafening silence, I suppose. <laughs> this is bad news. Disciples are hoping that Jesus will finally give us the answer that we are waiting for our whole lives. Our fathers have been waiting for generations. And what does he say? Sorry, mate. It's not for you to know this answer now. Very super disappointing. And verse 8, Jesus is saying, well, if the restoration of the kingdom of God is your most important question, now I want you to know my most important concern. And then he reads, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the most important concern of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because Jesus revisits that covenant that God made with Abraham. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. So the most important concern of the Lord Jesus is that he honors 
his father's promise to our father Abraham. Because Abraham's grandson, Jacob, Israel, did not honor that promise. We see in the very first verse of that most beautiful high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And he goes on and says, I have brought you glory by completing the work that you gave me to do. You see, Israel did not complete the work that God gave them to do. And Jesus is saying, Father, I have done that. What you ask me, I have completed that work. That the people, your people, fail to do. I have done it. So Father God, he sends his son to the very same people group, through the Jewish people, his son Jesus, to honor his promise. He sends him through the Jewish people to honor that original covenant that he made with Abraham. The difference is the fulfillment this time will come through Jesus, the disciples, the church, you and I, to honor and to fulfill that promise and bring God the glory that he deserves. But the church needs power. And Jesus said, but you will receive power. I will bless you. Top line. Can we see the fulfillment of that? What does Jesus say? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will be a blessing. That's the bottom line. We see it coming through very clearly that God is not a man that he should lie. He will fulfill his promise. He will do it voluntarily or involuntarily. But he will do it because he's faithful to complete the work that he starts in all of our lives. He will use us to be a blessing and to bring him glory. Because we, the church, have the power. The word power is from the original word dunamis. We get the English words dynamite, dynamic. So God has given us this power, like dynamite, to blow away any thoughts that come into our minds saying, no, you can't do it. You're not called to bring God glory. The missionaries are called it. The pastors are called to do that. I'm just a good, ordinary Christian. Blow that thought out of your mind because God has given us his Holy Spirit that has the power to say, you are the plan to bring me glory. I have blessed you to be a blessing. You can do it. And you shall do it. You shall be my witnesses. Paul says to the church at Ephesians, in chapter 2 and verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's workmanship, you and I, God's glorious handiwork. Wow, we are God's masterpiece. Think about that. Created in Christ to do good works. Good works, poema, poetry. That's the motion of the author. That's how he sees it. Wow. That's how God sees that we can be a blessing and bring him glory. As beautiful as it is, he sees it and he says, you, I've given you the power, my people, my church. You shall be my witnesses and you will do it. Praise God for his Holy Spirit's power 
that enables us, that empowers us to do that which God wants to bring us glory. Why? Because we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. How many times we look for satisfaction in many other places, people, and things? But our greatest satisfaction is when our God is glorified. That's when we are most satisfied. We are so satisfied that the New Testament word is witnesses. It comes from the word mateo, meaning martyrs. That means we will have the power to even die. That's how satisfying it is. Because you're dying for a cause. You're dying for the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying, hey, you've seen me being a witness. I died and my father raised me up. <laughs> how satisfying is that? To see a dead man walking, alive again. Wow, that's amazing. So Jesus says, you will start being my witnesses in the very city that I died. I was crucified in Jerusalem. And then you will go to the southern districts of Palestine in Judea. And then you'll go to the place where they hate us, the Jews, the most, Samaria. And if you get to Samaria, no place will limit you. You'll be able to go to the ends of the earth. Wow. That's amazing. That's our purpose. To reflect the glory of God locally and globally in our Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth and everywhere in between because it's part of our reward. And we'll just move to the next slide and we'll see one of my favorite verses. We talk about being rewarded. Psalm 2 and verse 8. God says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. That's a verse I hold dear in my heart. I know what's waiting for me because that's where the investment lies. Because of God's Holy Spirit, we can ask. We can ask and keep on asking. We can petition the Lord. We know when we ask what we will get is for later. There it is, Psalm 2 and verse 8. Have you noticed that in all the versions of the Bible, in Acts 1 verse 8, it says, and you shall be my witnesses or be witnesses to me in Jerusalem? In one version of the Bible, it includes a very important word. The word is both. Only in the authorized King James Version, you see the word both. Why is the word both so important? Because people have a theology of being a witness in order. I must first be a witness in Jerusalem, then secondly in Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that word both cancels all of that out. Simply because it says, you will be my witnesses, or Jesus says, you'll be witnesses unto me simultaneously at the same time, both in all those places. That's what Jesus says. Because the danger is, we get stuck only in Jerusalem. In our, our whole lives, we're in Jerusalem, waiting for the logical progression of moving on. And when we move churches, because we move cities, or in our case, countries, we're still in our Jerusalem. <laughs> so this word both eliminates all of that and says, no, you will be my witnesses everywhere, 
all at the same time simultaneously because God expects to get glory from us. He expects it. Wherever we are, each follower of the Lord Jesus Christ must bring glory to Jesus because that's how we'll get satisfied in life if we bring glory to him. Now, physically, we can only be in one place at one time. I get that. In our so-called Jerusalem. So how do we actually then bring God glory all at the same time everywhere when we are only in one place and one time? How does that work out? We must lift our eyes and see. See the bigger picture of the body of Christ. We must see the church that the Lord Jesus died for. The whole church, everywhere on this planet. Not just in our Jerusalem. We must think of our brothers and sisters in countries where they cannot meet as we do in freedom. We must think of our brothers and sisters where they are not allowed to have a Bible. Can't be seen with the Holy Bible. We must think about those people who cannot gather and worship in freedom. Praise Jesus. Call themselves Christians. We must lift our eyes and see those people. And we must spend time in praying for them. Because much of the church around the world is being persecuted. Christians are suffering discrimination of all kinds. We are so blessed to be a blessing to that part of the body. So, yes, we are here, but we are also lifting our eyes to see what the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, what's happening there in those parts of the world where the body is suffering. Now, I read a book called Heavenly Man. The author, Brother Yun, I love what he says. Brother Yun in The Heavenly Man said, Do not pray that persecution will stop but pray that we may endure the suffering and persevere. I can't talk much about suffering and persecution. I don't have personal experience. But what I do know is that God is glorified in pain and suffering for him to write that. If we talk about exponential growth of the church, that's the way it happens. In our family Bible study on Monday evenings, we're also going through the book of Acts. And one of the uh, humorous moments we have in, in saying, if you don't do Acts 1.8, you'll get Acts 8.1. When you turn to your Bibles and you see what happened in Acts 8.1, you see a great persecution broke out. <laughs> because <laughs> people were not obedient to the Acts 1.8, being a witness and bringing God glory. So Helen and I work for an organization that focuses on the countries of people and those people groups where the church is not known, where there are no followers. So we start by praying for the least reached peoples of the world. And we host an online meeting uh, each month. Um, there's one coming up this Thursday because the first Thursday of each month, the Western Cape hosts that meeting. So we host that meeting on the 6th of October coming up at 7.30. Uh, we can give you an invitation link if you like to join that meeting because our guest will be someone that you remember. Earlier in May, we had a guest speaker named Mike Bernard. Anyone remembers Mike Bernard? 
Yeah. Do you remember the five I must that he preached on? He preached a message called the five I must. Anybody remember that? If it was an OM meeting, I'll say you'll get a free book. <laughs> the first I must, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Luke 2. If that's the only one you remember, that's great. Because it must be about your father's business. That applies to us, the church. We must be about our father's business. In Luke 2, verse 49. That's what we do when we get up each morning. We ask ourselves, am I about the father's business? Can I pause for a moment? Just allow that to sink in a bit. Get up each morning and ask ourselves, am I about my father's business today? Mike Bernard will be talking about the uh, Sahel uh, region. Um, I've asked him to give us a breakdown of the Sahel region. If you're not sure where the Sahel is, it's North Africa. It's just below the harsh Sahara Desert, but it's above the lush savannah. And I'm going to show you a few pictures, and uh, you're going to learn more about the Herods, what we do. Um, and you can see some of it has already come up on the screen about OM and what we do with Operation Mobilization. You can come talk to us later. I think many of us know Nate, who uh, from our church went on board one of our ships, the Logos Hope, and now he's in, uh, in the UK studying in a, in a Bible school called All Nations Christian College. So we work with OM, and you see, we want to see God's love shared in places where no one is sharing the life and teachings of Jesus. Like in Afghanistan, where the average person will hear the gospel every 30.5 years where there are no communities of Jesus followers, like in Japan, where there are over 1,700 towns and villages without an evangelical church, where culture, language, and other barriers separate people from the local Jesus followers, like amongst the one million Syrian refugees in Europe. That's what we do in OM, and so I invited Mike Bernard to come and talk about the Sahel. You'll see it in the next slide, uh, the region of the Sahel that I described to you. There are 14 nations there, 591 million people, 1743 people groups, 553 unevangelized or unreached, unengaged people groups, over 56% Muslim and 37% Christian, but not all evangelical. Christians make up that 37%. And then in the next slide, uh, I'll just read to you something about the Sahel. Uh, countries count among the world's most and worst exposed to crises and disasters. Unpredictable weather habits, frequent droughts and floods threaten the livelihoods of highly vulnerable communities. This food insecurity and malnutrition are high and widespread. And then a surge in Armed conflict and violence now affecting vast areas has also uprooted entire communities and disrupted livelihoods. And then you can see so much other statistics about the Sahel. 
But I like what it says there. However, the humanitarian crises will provide kairos opportunities for the church to reach out and reflect a loving Savior and a redeeming God, bringing Him the greatest glory. Greatest glory. And then I, I included a verse there. You'll see from um, Luke 10, verse 2. Jesus speaking, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's just a bit of a taster. If you want to join us to pray for the nations and to bring the greatest glory to God where there is no church, where Jesus is not yet known. They've never heard of his fame and renown. That's our focus as a Christian missionary organization. So although we are here in Cape Town, which is our Jerusalem as a family, our ministry, we bring glory to God here in Jerusalem, serving the church here, not just Pines Baptist, but all the churches, wherever we can go to in the Western Cape that we oversee. We bring glory to God in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, all at the same times by simply praying and taking time in the week and dedicating that to where is the church being persecuted? Where can we pray and invest time? Because we know that God has not forgotten about his church in that part of the world that's hurting and suffering. We are being advocates by exposing this morning, just showing you some pictures. We are exposing to you some of the needs that exist where the body of God is hurting. We are working all at the same time by mobilizing and recruiting people to be trained and to be sent so in, in mission language, no longer are we always sending people to go from one country to the next. We look at people around that country and we call that same or near culture workers. Because somebody from a very different country, culture, language, etc., takes too long and too expensive to go to a brand new country and learn the language and then start to minister. We look at people that are in same or near cultures, where they are closer, proximity, it's easier, they probably look the same, they understand the clothes, the food, and there'll be quicker impact. So same and near culture. So we might not ever go to the Sahel, but we are willing to train, to send, to expose the church, to be able to resource people, to fund them, to say, you go, in the name of Jesus, I want to invest and be a blessing and make that part of my inheritance one day, my reward. I want to possess that nation. I want to send you and be a blessing to you. So all of this brings glory to God by being a blessing both locally and globally as well. We are living locally, but we are praying, acting, giving globally. And so therefore you see that word both, it is possible to do all at the same time whilst being physically in one single place. I'm going to end now and to share some practical hints of how we can increase in the glorification of God. Firstly, we can investigate missions. What is God doing in our broken world? Where is he working? Ask, what is God inviting me to do and to partner with him in his great co-mission, in the great partnership, co-together, working with the Lord Jesus Christ? We can read mission books. The greatest one is the Bible. There are many others, many missionaries have wrote amazing stuff that can really bless us and help us to be able to understand what is God doing and how they have made an impact through a whole nation, just one missionary going in. There are so many books 
uh, some are found in the PBC library as well. Pray for missions. If you heard me speak about prayer, that's the one thing I focus on in my life is prayer. I want to learn. I'm always reading books on prayer, how to pray different kinds of prayers. The Bible talks about, Paul says, pray in all kinds of prayers. So I want to know everything there is to know about prayer, how to pray. And so I'm consistently reading about prayer, but the most important thing is to actually do it. So we spend time each day, each week, on a prayer-focused day. And that's coming up for us each week. We have a prayer-focused time. So we spend time in prayer and fasting, seeking the Lord, how to pray according to His will. I'm tired of being disappointed, praying what I want to see happen. It doesn't happen. Just get very discouraged because I'm not praying the way the Lord wants me to pray after His heart and His will. So I'm forever seeking the Lord's heart, seeking His will, how to pray, and know that in this prayer, I'm glorifying the Lord. I want to invite you to also be generous and give to those who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have missionaries right here at PBC that we, we support and we send and we pray and we bless and we commission them. And we are praying that through meetings like these, you too will hear the call of God and bring great glory to Him by going to be a blessing. Go on a short-term trip. If you don't like the word short-term trip, I want to invite you to go on a mission vacation. How's that? I remember going with my family, our first European trip some years ago. So excited to go to Europe on a bus and see 12 to 15 countries. And uh, of course, I took 30 Bibles with me, New Testaments. Traveling with the same people, I gave everybody a personal gift, just a gift from me. Say thank you, it's great to travel with you, tour with you. And the last person was one Jewish lady. Jewish lady? Supposed to have the Bible. That's where this thing was written. She said, thank you. No one's ever given me a Bible before. She comes from Israel. Wow. What a great joy to be able to know we are going. So we don't park our vacation wherever it is, and we do church and life here. No, we take our ministry, and everywhere we go, we take gifts. And I'm very good at uh, losing my Bible as well. I have divine amnesia sometimes. I just travel. I just forget my Bible in amazing places. Wow. I want to pray for you if you don't have that gift. Brilliant gift. Take a Bible and lose it in Jesus' name. And you'll see one day what happens when someone reads and says, thank you for losing your Bible. I came to know the Lord Jesus. I led so many people to the Lord as well. So join local outreaches as well because in two weeks' time you'll see me coming up again here in front and um, sharing about um, going at the end of October to visit our local imam at the mosque. Right? So... Watch the space two weeks' time. I'll bring somebody here. We'll share a bit more about our visit to our local mosque where uh, when I visited the imam, what an amazing guy. Uh, Sheikh Mohammed invited me. We had a nice chat in the mosque speaking. And by the end of it, he said, Hey, Adrian, thank you for coming. I said, What? He says, Yeah. Since we moved here and the mosque was built, I know people think that we are building bombs as terrorists for ISIS. And after the joke, he sounded very real and true. He says, yeah, that's what I know everyone's thinking. So thank you for coming. I said, yeah, when you open your mosque on the open day, I came with my family, my children, my wife, Helen donned the headscarf, we went in. And we were the only people that actually went in and said, welcome. You are welcome here. And so we come back to bless you. 
And we want to be able to see your adherents come to visit and understand what is the practice of Christians in what we call the church is our building. So we want to build relationships because we're all people. And he said, thank you so much. When I come back from Saudi Arabia, I'm going on a mini hajj. Let's meet again. And uh, he sent me a WhatsApp message immediately. Adrian, thank you so much for coming. He said, God bless you. Wow, what opportunity we have. I'll share more about that. I'm bringing a guest uh, who you learn more in a couple of weeks' time. It's a very special guest. I'll leave you this one-liner. My guest that I'm bringing is an American guy named Hunter. He's joining our team in OM. He does Bible study in the Boerkarp Mosque. That's recorded, so I won't repeat myself. So that's where we're going with this. The Lord is working amongst all nations, starting right here on our doorstep in Pinelands, in Cape Town. And we want to be a blessing and bring God maximum glory uh, that we can with our lives. I'm going to stop right there and just park it. I, I think I've, I've said enough. You got the picture. We exist for God's glory, to bring Him maximum glory every day of our lives. And how can we do that? Let's take just two or three minutes. I want to invite us just to turn to our neighbors um, in groups of two or threes. Let's answer these two questions. How can you adjust your lifestyle to partner? I don't want to assume that you're not bringing glory to God. I want to ask, how can we increase our partnership with God in His mission? And secondly, how can you be a greater blessing to the nations around you and bring more glory to God?